Good morning. When the morning mists of dreams vanish, then dawns the bright day of Christian fellowship. When the morning mist of dreams vanish, then dawns the bright day of Christian fellowship. This is a quote taken from Dietrich Bonhoeffer's small book on Christian community entitled Life Together. We talk a lot here at Covenant about life together, about living life together, about doing life together. And so last fall, we read through Bonhoeffer's book. A few of us uh, read through this very dense German uh, work of theology to understand what does this mean and how could this shape our life together here as, as a, a church family. Bonhoeffer was a, uh, he, he wrote this book alone. So he's writing a book about community alone in his twin sister's house. She had been exiled for her help uh, in, in helping him to escape Nazi Germany. So he's writing this book alone in a house after the Gestapo had shut down his, the, the clandestine seminary that he had been running for a few years. And this clandestine seminary was training pastors for their work in the Confessing Church, which was the church that was in resistance to Nazi Germany. And so he's writing this book alone, reflecting upon his experience, this wonderful experience of community that, that he had with these pastors in this seminary. And you can kind of sense, though, that he is longing for it again. He misses it. And in the opening chapter, he writes this odd sentence. When the morning mist of dreams vanish, then dawns the, cri- the, the bright day of Christian fellowship. What does that mean? We all have dreams. We all have dreams for our life. We spend a lot of time in pursuit of these dreams. We leave home. We go get an education. Uh, we take jobs, all because we have a dream. We get into relationships because... We have a dream. We get out of relationships sometimes because our dreams fall apart. We have dreams for our children. If you've been watching the Olympics over the last weekend, like I have, it's like TV's just on. It's like sports I didn't even know existed. I'm suddenly cheering for. Uh, like really enthralled in. Uh, you know, the, the thing that they like to cover is they like to follow these, these athletes' dreams and how, they, how they, their dreams led them to this moment, this defining moment. We all have dreams. We're big on dreaming. And we bring these dreams into every community in which we live, which means that we bring these dreams into our churches. Parishioners bring these dreams. Y'all bring these dreams into the church. And pastors bring their own dreams for congregations. The early church had a dream as well. This dream developed after Jesus ascended into heaven and told them to go out and to be his witnesses. And this small group of Jewish converts were living these just amazing experience of community, intimate community. The text says in Acts 2 that all who believed were together and they had all things in common. All who believed were together and they had all things in common. They were meeting regularly in each other's homes. They were eating together. They were praying for one another. If someone had a need, they would meet it. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a very dreamy community. Sounds amazing. And then as we've learned, the church begins to grow through the power of the Holy Spirit and the preaching of the apostles. And this small little crew, this small church, living kind of a dreamlike Existence 
begins to discover the problem with church growth. Which is that new people bring in their own lived experience and their own traditions and their own history and their own beliefs and their own anxieties, their own fears, their own doubts. And it starts to change your community. And suddenly this early group of Christians realizes that if they're going to truly confess that they all belong to one another in Jesus Christ, as they must confess, that they're going to have to give up their dream for the church in order to accept God's gift of Christian community. They've got to give up their own dream for the church in order to accept God's gift of Christian community. And the question is, will they? And perhaps the more difficult question is, will we give up our own dreams for the church in order that we might receive the gift of Christian community? So read with me our text for this morning to see how this plays out in the early church. We're in Acts 15, verses 1 through 21. I invite you to listen now for the word of the Lord. Then certain individuals came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to discuss this question with the apostles and the elders. So they were sent on their way by the church, and as they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, they reported the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the believers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and said, It is necessary for them to be circumcised and ordered to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders met together to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, My brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that I should be the one through whom the Gentiles would hear the message of the good news and become believers. And God, who knows the human heart, testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And in cleansing their heart by faith, he has made no distinction between them and us. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing on the neck of the disciples a yoke that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. And the whole assembly kept silence and listened to Barnabas and Paul as they told of all the signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, My brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first looked favorably on the Gentiles to take from them, among them, a people for his name. This agrees with the words of the prophets, as it is written, After this I will return and I will rebuild the dwelling of David, which has fallen from its ruins. I will rebuild it and I will set it up so that all other peoples may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles over whom my name has been called. Thus says the Lord, who has been making these things known from long ago. Therefore I, and this is James talking again, have reached the decision that we should not trouble those Gentiles who are turning to God, but we should write to them to abstain only from things polluted by idols and from fornication and from whatever has been strangled and from blood. For in every city for generations past, Moses has had those who proclaim him, for he has been read aloud every Sabbath in the synagogues. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Holy God, take my words and use them to amplify your reconciling and liberating eternal word. And take all of our thoughts and transform each and every thought so that all of our thoughts might be held captive to Christ. And then take our lives and fill them with the Holy Spirit and sweep us out of here into the world you love and have called us to serve. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we're still in the book of Acts. And we've been exploring all summer long through this journey that the early church is on. Just what it means for us to, to live as the sent people of God. And the wonderful irony at play here in this passage is that the apostles have done just as Jesus commanded them to do. They have been his witnesses. And they have gone to Jerusalem and beyond. And the Holy Spirit has added to their number. And the church has been growing. And so the problem that we have here, the problem that they are facing, the whole reason for this first church council called the Jerusalem Council, is a wonderful problem to have. It's an incredible problem to have. And we should remember, too, that these certain individuals, these Pharisees, who come from Judea, they have a point. We need to try to sympathize with them this morning. They have a point. They are not objecting to the preaching of Gentiles. That's not what they're objecting to. They have always preached to Gentiles. They knew that there was always a way for Gentiles to be included in the covenant that God had made with Israel. It's just that the sign of that covenant was circumcision. And the way that they participated in the blessings of the covenant was through circumcision. The analogy here would be baptism for us. We had a baptism in the 930 service. So, so they have a fine theological point. These aren't just like downers, right? Like they, they have a, a good point here. They're interpreting their tradition to the best of their ability. And they're saying that, no, no, they need to keep the law. So imagine their surprise when Peter and Paul and Barnabas start to say that, no, like God's grace in Jesus Christ is inclusive not only of Jews but of Gentiles. And that God no longer makes any distinction between the two of us. If you've ever woken up to the idea that God's grace is far wider and far deeper than you've previously thought, you know that this is a very unsettling time for them. This question of how do we include the Gentiles. God's grace is far wider and deeper than we ever thought it could be. If you ever experienced that, you know that this is a difficult moment. And it leads the church to make this decision. And it's important here we know what the decision is. The church, the decision that's facing the church is not whether to include these people or not. That actually has already been done through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has already included them, already called them to be a part of this community. The decision the church has to face here is whether or not to recognize that God has already done that. It's a very small distinction, but it's really important. The decision is not for them to do something amazing and include these people, but it's to recognize that God is working and that God has already invited them and included them in this body. So, if they decide not to include them or to include them and ask them to follow the law, to essentially become Jewish, to become Christian, they'll remain this kind of very small, homogenous group from Acts 2. In other words, they'll keep the dream alive if they decide not to include them or to include them on these conditions. But keep the dream alive. But 
if they decide to recognize that God has already included them, that God's grace covers them and invites them to belong to this community, they're going to have to let go of that dream. Going to have to let go of that dream to receive God's gift of Christian community. And I think through, through this text, we can kind of understand what Bonhoeffer was saying when he said, when dreams vanish, then and only then is Christian community possible. It's, an, it's another shuttle, subtle shift here to go from demanding that other people meet the standards of community that I have and instead receiving the gift of community, the people who show up, the people who are here in this time and place. It's a very subtle distinction. And when we make this shift, there's no doubt that there's going to be some growing pains, just like there were in this text. The church is going through some growing pains, some conflict, some disagreement. Sometimes I hear from people who are frustrated with the church, uh, who are maybe just exhausted by the church, that, uh, that our credible witness is kind of damaged because of all the fighting that we do, because of all the conflict that we have. And I get it. Like, I, I definitely get that there are churches that are dysfunctional and which damage our witness and which we should grieve and we should try to remedy, try to fix those. But maybe conflict and disagreement are actually marks of a healthy, growing church, just like in the book of Acts. And maybe, perhaps the dream that we have to most give up is this idea of an ideal church. This idea that everyone's going to kind of believe the same things or think the same way, vote the same way, look the same way as we do. I read uh, in the Times, I think last week, this quote that has been, I've been chewing on ever since. And I, I think it describes our cultural moment really well. So I want to share it with you. It asks the question, who runs the world? Beyonce says, girls. <laughs> Spoiler alert, like, she's right. Um, Bernie Sanders says, billionaires. Donald Trump says, China. Unions say big corporations. Big corporations say startups. Startups say regulators. Regulators say politicians. Politicians say donors. Donors say grassroots. You can see where this is going on and on and on. And then it says, if anything unites America in this fractious moment, it is a widespread sentiment that power is somewhere other than where you are. Power is somewhere other than where you are. And this summer, is, uh, uh, in response to a lot of the stuff going on in, in our world, in our own communities, I felt this. And I'm still chewing on the powerlessness of, of, of this summer and how this all feels, especially as one who has cultural power. But the thought after I read this immediately was, thank God that we as a church do not have to depend upon our agreement for unity. Thank God. Thank God that you and I don't have to agree with Beyonce that girls run the world for us to be in unity as Christians. That our unity actually comes from Jesus Christ. That we are actually already one because we participate in Christ's body. We're already one. 
We're already unified. The question is not whether or how we strive for unity, but how we reflect that unity to the world. We are already one. The question is, how do we become what we already are? How do we reflect that unity to the world? And at least one way from this text is not to ask more of people than Jesus does. Not to ask more of people than Jesus does. The main problem with our dreams for an ideal church is that sooner or later, we're going to make following Jesus harder than Jesus makes following Jesus. Which is pretty hard to do, actually. Because Jesus makes following Jesus pretty hard. He tells us to count the cost, that we need to die to ourselves daily. But the problem that this council is, address, is addressing that, is that some of these Pharisees want for these Gentiles to do something that Jesus has not asked them to do. The Spirit has already included them into this community without making them adopt these practices. We have our own version of this here and now, don't we? I mean, whether we re- lean right or lean left politically, theology, theologically, we, we want people to think like we do. We not only want them to answer the call that Jesus has on their lives, but we want them to look like we do, to think like we do, to behave like we do. We have a dream for their own discipleship, just like we have a dream for our own discipleship. And if they don't live up to that, we start to be suspicious of them, like these Pharisees are suspicious of the Gentiles. You start to question their faith. Is it real? Is it authentic? Like mine is? When the council settles down and turns to James, who is the leader of this church in Jerusalem and the brother of Jesus, James says, let's not trouble the Gentiles who are turning to God. Let's not trouble them. Essentially, let's not ask them to do more than Jesus has asked of them. Instead, he actually asks for these Gentile converts to do exactly as Christ commands, which is to do unto others as you would like done unto you. You see, there's this practical problem of living in a community with people from mixed traditions and histories and habits and practices. And so James suggests that they write to these Gentile converts who are filled with the same Holy Spirit that has filled them to ask them to be sensitive to their Jewish brothers and sisters to abstain from certain things that would make their life together extremely difficult. It's very subtle, but if you catch it, James is essentially asking the Gentiles to give up their dream for the church in order that they might receive the gift of Christian community. And so we have two parties. We have the Jewish early church and we have the Gentile converts, both being asked to give up your dream and accept the gift of community which only Christ can create and which only Christ can sustain. What dream for the church is God calling you to give up so that you can receive the gift of community? What's the dream standing in the way of you receiving that gift? You see, part of what it means to be the sent people of God is to go where God sends us to go. But we will not go if we are occupied with our own dreams. And if the dream for you is finding a church or a community filled with the Holy Spirit, which is free from 
dysfunction and discord and disagreement and messiness, you are going to be disappointed. Big time. But, if you are looking for a place to practice giving up this dream so that you might receive the gift of community from God, one good place to start is to just take a risk. Find a, find a community and plug in. Here at Covenant, as you've already heard announced this morning, one way we're trying to do this is through small groups, through Covenant groups. And listen, these things are, this is not social engineering. Like, we're, we're just getting as much data as we can, and then we're asking people to join together, to give up their dream for their, for, to receive the gift of community, and then we're praying for them, and we're watching to see what happens. We have no idea. And I'm actually, like, I'm so surprised in, in a good way, and I'm, I, I'm so excited with the way that people are responding to this. People who are coming together have no other reason to be together but because Jesus has done it. That's the gift of Christian community. And if you talk to anyone who's been in a small group, they will tell you that at first, this, is, this can be really awkward. It can be really awkward, and it can be really hard for showing up time and time again to be present to people in their mess and to be vulnerable to let your mess shine through. That's hard. That's not easy. But the good news is that Jesus is always found near messy people. Always. Find messy people, Jesus is there. So if you want to be near Jesus, I invite you to get into the mess. Give up your dream and get into the mess. When the morning mist of dreams vanish, then dawns the bright day of Christian community. What dream is God calling you to give up in order to receive the gift of Christian community? Pray with me. Holy God, we have no church but the one that you call together by your Holy Spirit. We have no plan for discipleship but to follow humbly your Son, Jesus Christ, who taught us how to live. We ask that you would help us to give up our own dreams. That you would crash crash down our idols that we've created for what this community would be so that we might come together broken and needy people to be transformed and to, be, and to live by the promise that wherever two or three of us are gathered, that you will be present to us. We give thanks and we ask for you to continue to shape us through your word and through the sacraments we, which we are about to receive. Amen.